0: City, it's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets, and you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated.
1: Buzz City,
0: it's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets, and you're Listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Hello and welcome to the Hornets and Heartbreak Podcast. My name is Mark Bernacki, and I'm here with my co-host Tim Rogers. What's up, Tim?
1: What did do, Liquor Mark?
0: I'm doing pretty well, man. We got a Woj bomb earlier today. Uh, that said that Kenny Atkinson will no longer be the coach of the Charlotte Hornets. He uh, thought about it for a couple of days after the NBA finals and went back on his word. He said he was going to take the job and he is now remaining an assistant coach with the Warriors, which leaves the Hornets in a terrible spot in terms of just the embarrassment of a coach, you know, saying that he was going to be the coach and then not being the coach. And also for our other candidates, now they feel like their second choice. Like it's like when you're talking to a girl and you know, you're like, Oh, what are you doing tonight? And she's like, Hey, I know you're talking to this other girl who you really like more. Right. That's what's going to happen with these other coaches. So even if we get the coach that we want, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to come in with a little bit of a sense of like, they weren't really wanted in Charlotte. So it, it's, it's a rough situation for sure. Uh, Tim, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, as someone who has, uh, no self-respect or pride. I would still hop on the offer knowing I was second choice, but uh, <clears throat> a major competitor, you know, someone competitive enough to be an NBA coach probably doesn't feel the exact same way. Um, according to Woj in his, uh, his report, he said, quote, after accepting Charlotte's offer during the NBA finals last week, further conversations with the Hornets organization led Atkinson to believe that both professionally and personally, it would be best to remain with the Warriors. What I gather from that is, what does that even mean? I mean, that just like, <laughs> to me, to me, I feel like, you know, when they were they were losing when he accepted, and then they won the championship, and then he was like, yeah, never mind, like maybe I'll ride this out for one more
0: year. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to rationalize it, and we did some research. I was like, does he have a family? He does have two kids, so like, you know, he doesn't want to uproot them. I'm sure that factors in. Personally, I've been to San Francisco. I love it there. I would rather live in San Francisco than Charlotte, probably. But as a 25-year-old, it's super expensive. I don't think Kenny Atkinson has to worry about that that much. So he might just be have those factors. But what it really comes down to, I think, and my, I got to give a shout out to my friend Tucker who suggested this uh, to me, even though other people have kind of reported it. Potentially Steve Kerr retiring in the next couple of years. and Kenny Atkinson might be just trying to be the next person in line. And maybe that's even happening sooner than we think. Like Steve Kerr has had back issues. Um, you know, there's that one season where he had to not coach in the middle of the year. He's been at it for a long time. He's been, you know, he played in the NBA. Then he went to um, announcing, you know, he's done a lot for over his time. And I'm sure he's ready to, to settle down at least to a degree. It would be weird for him to leave on top. But like, I'm not, I'm not ruling it out. Because to me, the decision by Atkinson, it's hard to rationalize. Like, why would you want to be the assistant coach? over the head coach in Charlotte, unless you like just don't want as much work. I don't, I don't really get it. He's not going to get a better job, a uh, better head coaching uh, position. We talked about it. Charlotte's like one of the most desirable uh, head coaching spots in the league this, this off season. Um, and yet yeah, it's, it's hard for me to understand it, unless the Kerr thing is true and the Kerr is going to be stepping down in the next couple of years.
1: Yeah. But even then it's like, all right, so let's say that Kerr coaches next season and then, Let's say one more. So then he's inheriting a 36-year-old Steph Curry, uh, almost assuredly, you know, on the downturn, Clay Thompson and uh, a very expensive Jordan Poole. Doesn't seem like that enticing the job. If, uh, if karma's a thing, because I have to say, I don't blame Atkinson for, uh, for staying with the Warriors it was kind of a shady thing. The only other examples I can really remember of a coach accepting and then reneging on a deal. Billy Donovan did this when he was the coach of Florida with the Orlando magic in 2007. And Josh McDaniels in the NFL did this to the Colts. Mm. Um, I think it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty nasty look. Um, but you know, we, we will see, I think if there, if there is a God, then he will have to accept the job of like the Indiana Pacers in two and a half years and be like, Oh man, maybe I could have just stayed with LaMelo.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I hope the Charlotte Hornets are, you know, we kill it next season and Kenny Atkinson. Well, we, like,
1: what we, am I doing? we should say that, uh, you know, I, I was laughing. Brian Windhorst went on that big rant after like game four, I believe. Like, Oh, you know, the Warriors just spend so much money, blah, 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 just crying. And I'm a Warriors fan, like outside of the Hornets. So I was laughing. I was like, oh, look at all these crybabies talking about how much more Joe Lacob will spend than other owners. And then I heard that Joe Lacob made Kenny Atkinson the highest paid assistant in the league. And uh, then I was like, you know, this isn't so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Once it affects me, I was like, this kind of sucks. (laughs) Yeah. So
0: definitely like just a low ball move from Atkinson to do this to the Hornets. Like I said at the top, like it definitely is going to be harder to get the candidate that we want now. Right. But if we can get D'Antoni or Stotts, my my initial reaction was actually a little bit of happiness. Like I, I know a lot of people on Twitter are like, oh my goodness, this franchise, like everything keeps on going wrong. And I see that perspective. It's definitely not good that we had a coach back down. It's definitely embarrassing. But I was higher on Stotts and I was higher on D'Antoni than I was Atkinson. We actually recorded 20 minutes earlier this week about Atkinson, and we hadn't dropped it yet. We were planning on dropping it tomorrow. Just talking about Kenny, and I had to really try to get excited about it. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty happy that we're hopefully going to get another another candidate, although like the worst case scenario, right, is we make like a panic move and we're like, Mark Jackson, what are you doing? Like, then, <laughs> then that would be horrible. But if we're still able to get who we had, you know, in that top tier of D'Antoni and Terry Stotts, then I'm actually happy about it, uh, if, if that's the case. Also, the fact that he like was this, you know, he was willing to change his mind like that. Like, it's kind of a good thing he's not going to be our coach, right? It's a good thing that he did change his mind at least because he just, I guess, wasn't that excited about it, right?
1: Yeah, no, he's a fickle guy. And yeah, like, you know, I was looking, you know, I was like trying to really dive in all these stats to sell myself. And I was like, wow, man, they were top 10 in pace. He <laughs> had <of> four years. <laughs> like, man, that's pretty good. I was like, oh, dude, they had the, they had the 15th ranked defense one year. <laughs> man, like, you, know, you really got to look into that. And yeah, I, mean, I think Kenny Atkinson is fine. I'm sure, you know, he could end up being like a very solid coach. But like, I went through all 732 head coaches in nba history by winning percentage and he might be the most popular coach of all time who has won less than 40 percent of his games yeah the, the other candidates for that are like david fisdale um dick vitel mark dagnoff like Max it's mark not Dagnoll. like a, <laughs> mark yeah mark dagnoff like Oh, yeah. yeah. Excuse me. for you know, He has a 29 percent <laughs> career win percentage. Yeah, I typed his name down wrong, but it's like, you know, I'm sure Kenny is fine. And he did overachieve but like people are talking as though we missed out on like modern day Rick Carlisle or yeah. something like, you know, he's fine. But it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, he has no real like track record. Like, man, he won 42 games one year. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, he could be he could be better than who we end up hiring. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's like some home run that got stolen out of the park. I completely agree. Like I said,
0: I had to talk myself into being happy about it. Um, I mean, it's better. They it would have been better than like some of the other candidates, like assistant coaches and stuff. But if we get Dan Tony, I will be so happy. I had like five minutes at the top of our previous episode, just like, man, I wish it was Mike. I wish we were, I wish we were getting Mike. So um, I hope, I hope that happens. I hope he doesn't have too much pride to, uh, you know, that he's going to decline the position after being second choice. Um, I think I'm with you Tim. I think I wouldn't have that much pride, but Mike Dantoni might be in a different might be in a different boat. And uh, we turned you turned that into like a positive somehow on the last podcast that he was the most popular coach with a uh, under 40% 20 presented. <laughs> like on the last episode you said that and made it a positive. We're going to do that again uh, here. Like people
1: with- love Elgin Baylor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're going to do that we're going to do that again here. With uh with Atkinson. And last time I told this story about apparently he likes to play pickup with the players, run run point guard in scrimmages. And uh, you know, he had like a leg injury earlier this year that prevented him from sitting on the bench during games from his pickup games, and then when he recovered, he got right back into it with the Warriors. It's because he took a
1: charge. He took a charge (laughs) from like Jonathan (laughs) Kaminga.
0: All right, so that kind of
1: intensity from your coach. Like maybe the
0: players would have liked it, but I wouldn't like it if my coach was doing that. And I'm a grown man and I'm playing in the NBA and the, the assistant coach is trying to run pickup games with the players. It's like, dude, you're not, you're not in our league. Like, why are you out here? Um, it's like, it's like going to the Y and you got to play with like a, a 12 year old, right? It's like, you don't, you don't want to do that. So uh, another thing is after every loss in his first season, he would go on his bike and he would watch the game tape of the, of the Nets games. And every time they would make a mistake, he would crank up the resistance on the bike to make it harder, to punish himself for that mistake. That's some, that's some crazy behavior right there, Tim. I don't want, I don't want any part of it. Uh, Kenny Atkinson, get out of here. We don't want you on our team. We're happy you're not here, bro. And
1: let's just call it like it is. Listen, he, doesn't, he clearly doesn't get along with superstars such as Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And you know what? We've got a team packed full of superstars. That's right. Ready to go. LaMelo ball, miles bridges, Mason Plumlee. They're not (laughs) taking gruff from some Kenny Atkinson loser. We're getting an established coach in here. Yeah. Get that Brooks, you know, Brooklyn nets team culture out of here. We're building Hornets culture. We don't need Kenny.
0: Yeah. We say that all in jest, but seriously, we don't need Kenny. Um, I'm happy that we're going to get a different coach. Very unprofessional from, from him to embarrass us like that. Uh, And, yeah, so what do you what do you think is going to happen from here, Dan? What like what's your give me a, a prediction?
1: Um, I assume that Mitch Kupchak is probably running to Mike D'Antoni's house right now and being like, "Hey, I know we only offered you four and a half million a year, but like would five point two, do you? I mean, I assume that you know they said that Stotts and uh, even though Stotts only had one interview, they said that uh, Woz reported that D'Antoni actually did not meet with Jordan. Mm. So only only Atkinson had met with him thus far. So I guess we'll restart that. You know, Sean Sweeney is still available, uh, who I would not be opposed to. One person that did come to mind is our boy, RIP, Big Jim, James Borrego. Uh, I just thought about him and I was like, you know, I bet that he found this pretty, pretty funny. Because according to certain reports, it hasn't been confirmed yet. Um, some Some local reporters have claimed that, the Hornets organization did not know that Atkinson has rec- had rescinded the deal, and they found out via Twitter. Whoa! So yeah. So apparently, apparently the Hornets brass was kind of in flux. So I imagine that James Brago was just like, "Yeah, that's what you get." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, want to kick me out? Have fun in the play.
0: James Brago stock up. I guess Mitch Kupchak stock down. Like, should
1: have seen this Let's, coming a little bit. What if, what if we just brought brought Borrego back? Would not that be <laughs> the funniest things that's ever happened? They're like, "Hey, man, our dude, we tried to fax you the contract. Like, I don't know what happened. I, we thought you were mad at us.
0: Uh, <laughs> we thought you didn't want to be here, James. Like,
1: <laughs> you know how the Wi Fi is here, man. Crying, this crowd his text all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's hilarious, dude. Yeah, I I, uh, I imagine he's he's definitely out there laughing uh, about this. And it's just not a good look uh, for the Hornets. Skylar Callahan at uh, Sports Illustrated, kind of our boss, uh, said the last 57 days for the Hornets fired James Borrego, the cup. Kenny Atkinson accepts job. Montrez Harrell facing drug charges. Atkinson changes mind. Uh, that's a lot of bad events sort of in a row there. And the cup incident, in case you're not familiar, was Miles Bridges. Uh, drinking some sort of purple beverage uh, on on his Instagram story that you know rumored to be lean, probably lean, uh, and yeah, so all those things in a row, not great, not great for the Hornets here this off season.
1: Yeah, I just like to imagine that Mason Plumlee is riding around downtown Charlotte right now with like an unlicensed gun or like drugs <laughs> in his car, and he's just like. Oh, man, I really got to put this back in the house. I was planning on getting arrested this weekend. (laughs) I guess I'll wait until we hire the next coach. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What do you think? Do you
0: think we're going to get a coach before the uh, draft?
1: Whew, man, I hope so. I mean, five day day window. (laughs) Yeah, so the draft is Thursday at 730. Um, You know, really, we don't pick until about like 815. So we have like a little more time. If we're, you know, if we're trying to be positive, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it, uh, it's pretty scary. I mean, Mitch Kopchak was very confident in the scouts and, you know, just talking about how he's the one that's going to be making decisions, but it's kind of, if you're going to hire someone, even like, you know, assume like, let's say there's things like Frank Vogel or Mike D'Antoni, the players that you're going to draft, I would think would depend on the coach that you have because mm-hmm. it's going to be a drastically different different system depending on the coach and it's it's a pretty tough look but also i mean the hornets i think already waited a little too long for the coach like people made fun of how long it took the lakers to hire a coach and that was like two weeks ago ago. yeah
0: Yeah. it was was a while back right yeah i mean like you would think that they would have some sort of input into who was getting drafted and that's probably not gonna happen like what are we gonna hire them wednesday and then you know, we're like, Hey, uh, by the way, have you done your draft research? <laughs>
1: like, yeah, do you like, have, yeah, I, I have ESP? I have ESPN plus. Like I'm a big draft express guy. <laughs> 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 but I think, I think we should take Chet. <laughs> 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 all right. I mean, all I'm, all I'm hearing from this is, yeah, you know, the sky is the limit. That's all I hear is we can Maybe we might even hire Greg Popovich, you know, who knows? So I, I, my prediction,
0: my final prediction is we're going to get Dan Tony, uh, Tweet from James Plowright, expect D'Antoni to be named shortly. Um, and I don't think he necessarily has inside info there, but he is, you know, he's locked in. I agree with him. Um, I think Mike will be the guy. It was sort of clearly down to Mike D'Antoni or Kenny Atkinson. And it seems like, you know, unless D'Antoni is not happy being the second choice, then I think that's who, who we would like to have. Um, and he understands these, thing ha- these things happen. He's a, he's a pro. He's a veteran, right? So he's he's not going to be too upset about it, I think.
1: If I was Mike D'Antoni, I would I would be a little offended. I kind of be like, you know, I know it was like you know eighteen years ago, but like I won more games in my first one and a half seasons than this guy has in his entire career, and he still got passed <laughs> over. Like I know there's obviously a lot a lot of other stuff going on. One other thing I will say, it's like you know, uh, Atkinson gets all this credit of like wow, man, you know, he's just developed all these great players. And you would think that he was, like, the development staff on, like, the early 2010s Thunder. It's like, no. It's like he developed Debarty Carroll in Atlanta, then, like, Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, Rondé Hollis Jefferson... And people talk about him as though, yeah, it's like he was part of the Spurs development system that brought up, like, you know, Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker. It's like, you know, I'm sure he's like a good development coach, but yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, he's not some wizard by any means. 100%.
0: Yep. Happy, happy. He's not the coach. Hopefully we get, we get Stotts or D'Antoni. And I think it's more likely that we get D'Antoni. You're now going to listen to uh, the second half of the podcast that we recorded on Wednesday, uh, because the first half was all about Kenny Atkinson, and it was <laughs> like fake praise towards Kenny on on the last podcast. That will go into the archives of unreleased content uh, that we have here. <laughs> it's an heartbreak, you will never Until, hear.
1: It. It's going to be funny when Atkinson actually rescinds his re- resignation. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 and he's back in a week and a half, and we have to erase this. That'll be great.
0: <laughs> yeah, the whole emergency pod, on. emergency pod, another emergency <laughs> pod. <laughs> All right, uh, yeah, you guys will listen to that. I'll I'll cue it up for you. Uh, peace, Tim. Peace. Uh, let's talk about some rookies. So we got two people to talk, or some potential draftees, not rookies. Uh, Tari Eason, twenty-one-year-old sophomore out of LSU. Dude is very good offensively. He came off the bench for LSU and averaged seventeen points per game in only twenty-four minutes per game. Thirty-seven uh, percent three-point shooter. 61% true shooting percentage, very good offensively, man. Uh, and he can finish around the rim. His other like big skill, other than his height, six eight, uh, you know, and his general size, is his ability to steal the ball. He averaged two steals per game, again, in only 24 minutes per game. Uh, I have to mention that again, because he didn't play that many minutes and he has stats like somebody who played 30 minutes. Um, making a high percentage of his threes. Shooting the ball well and getting to the rim. Uh he's an offensive wing that could help us a lot here in Charlotte.
1: Yeah. So he's six foot eight in shoes. He has a seven two wingspan. Uh, you know, averaged about two steals, one block per game, uh, 56% on twos, 36% on two and a half threes per game, 80 from the line which, you know, when you look at college players, that's, you know, like that's the biggest thing to really look at as far as projecting shooting. Um, and yeah, you know, you talk about his defense. Uh, it, like, and this is hyperbolic and, you know, like all around doesn't remind me of this guy, but the way that like if a guard is driving against him and he just gets his hand on the ball, it's kind of like Kawhi Leonard. It just stops. Like the guy just like stops moving. He just rips the ball away like Kawhi on like Ben McLemore from like 2017, if we remember that. Um, yeah. So I think that defensively I'm really interested, even though his offensive numbers were better in, uh, in college. I imagine if he were to come on a team like the Hornets, he would essentially just be a perpetual fourth or fifth option and never be asked to create. And for that, I really love everything about him. I think he's like the perfect project type wing to take in a situation like this, where, you know, this will probably be our last lottery pick. So it's like man, let's let's swing for the fences as much as we can in a draft like this that's not full of like high upside winks,
0: yeah, so some of the negatives with him are that like his handle is sketchy to say the least, um and at times he would take the ball up the court in like a fast break situation and just get stripped, like you see the slightest defensive pressure, and he kind of gets confused and turns the ball over um but He's not going to be doing that in Charlotte. He's not going to have the ball in, in his hands, taking the ball to the court like ever, right? He, As you mentioned, he's going to be the fourth or fifth option. So that problem to me is like kind of a race. Like if he starts dribbling the ball too much, he's just getting pulled. Like that's, that's not going to be happening <laughs> yeah. in his rookie season. He's not going to be dribbling that much like he was in the LSU in Charlotte. That that job is somebody else's. So um, I kind of view that as like, okay, it's an issue to, to a degree, but he's not going to be doing that that much here in Charlotte, like I said. Um, and then one of his other issues is that he had a lot of foul trouble. He was playing the five at LSU against bigger people a lot of the time. So, in uh, his foul trouble, he fouled out in six games, I think, in, uh, in LSU. So, he was playing against bigger defenders. He's not going to be doing that that much in Charlotte either. He's not going to be playing the five for us. He's more of a four in the NBA, I think. Um, and so those two problems that he has for the Charlotte Hornets specifically and most NBA teams, I think, kind of get negated at least a little bit.
1: Yeah, I would say that's a, that's a great point where like, yeah, we're not expecting him to be study Barnes, mm. you know, like he's not gonna be like running, like, you know, maybe he will be the third man to touch the ball on a fast break. That right. would be like his, his big thing or another problem that I think he has, even though the numbers are pretty good, you know, the 36% from three, he has a very low release, almost shoots it like jawline, mm-hmm. I would say, which is low, but he's only ever going to be like, you know, it's going to be swing, 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 and then he shoots. It's he's never going to be like taking anyone off the dribble and taking a step back. So I don't think that's as big of a problem. And Lamelo also had kind of a funky jump shot. I mean still has a funky jump shot, yeah. I would say. So I'm not as worried about that. Um, the, the defense is really what, what jumps out to me even more than, you know, like the seven or like, you know, about 17 points a game. Um, yeah, I just think that his handle does need some work, but everything with wings come down. We're watching these finals now and what's stopping, you know, Jason Tatum from actually being a top five player. It's the handle. Mm -hmm. What's stopping Jason or Jalen Brown from being a, you know, perpetual all-star it's the handle. Why does Andrew Wiggins suddenly look so great? he's playing with Steph Curry. doesn't have to dribble anymore. Like, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, that are between six, six and six, nine. It's just like dribbling the ball. It's harder when, you know, you're that, when you're that high up. So yeah, I mean, if we're projecting him to be more of just like a super energy guy off the bench and like, I could see him, you know, like he'll have some ugly games, but I could also see like, almost like when Dante Exum locked up James Harden on the Rockets in like 2017 and for a week straight, people are like, man, Dante is really putting it all together. I think Eason will have some of those games where he'll give, you know, like star players hell for like a quarter and a half. And people will be like, wow, he's going to be the next defensive stud. Like, I think he has that potential, not that he'll put it together for a full game or, you know, weeks at a time, but he has all the attributes to like switch two to four realistically because i think the one to five switching i don't think that really any guys can do that in the nba i think that's like an exaggeration uh but yeah like two to four i think defensively yeah one thing that does scare me is he kind of reminds me a little bit of kelly Oubre, Mm. in the fact that he is super athletic can get to the rim has you know like people respect the shot enough that he can get there but if he's not dunking man he he will just miss the cylinder Mm. sometimes on layups and he's very very one-hand dependent but again that is a fourth option not as concerning he's a he's a project i would say but a worthwhile project
0: yeah I, i think i disagree with you a little bit on like the defensive upside i don't see it quite as much as you do um you know his steals were impressive i don't see like the quickness that much when compared to another player that we're about to talk about jeremy sohan um but I mean, yeah, he could. He could very well turn into a very good defender in the NBA. I just don't. I don't think that's like as much of a lock as his offense.
1: I would. I would compare it to almost like again, this guy seemingly comes up locked like Matisse Steibel, where like Matisse Steibel is not like one on one. Like Kelly Oubre will give Matisse Steibel like one on one like work, but as like you know a guy playing passing lanes and like swapping in like. Almost like he's not Herb Jones because Herb Jones better one-on-one, but I think that he has like hands that you can't really teach like two steals, one block. That's not by accident. Like, you know, very few guys in college hit that. I think he does have like a little bit of a nose for the ball and can really just like pull it out of guys' hands. And within like two or three years, I think that he could be someone like he won't be locking down, you know, like Kawhi Leonard or whoever that forward is in three years. But, I mean, I think just with his body, that 7'2 wingspan, I mean, that can recover, like, you know, that can make up for a lot of, like, getting burned by a guard. You can contest a lot of shots with that.
0: Yeah. Okay. one last thing on him. We have to mention his, like, three-throw drawing ability. Uh, and he got to the line five and a half times, I think, per game in 24 minutes, which, again, for 24 minutes, that's extremely good. Miles Bridges couldn't dream of those numbers in his first two years. Yeah. <laughs> right so like he already has that skill which is very valuable it's just free points and he knocks down the free throws at a high percentage as you already mentioned so that's another attribute that's very translatable to the NBA and like in college they don't call stuff as much so I mean you kind of would imagine he'd get like similar free throw numbers in NBA obviously his usage is going to go down but he'll be able to draw fouls thousand when we need him to
1: yeah that that is a great point that's one thing that throws me off so i've started you know after the hornet season is done the playoffs will slowed down i've started watching like full college games and the continuation foul is someone who's never been a college fan even though like you know grew up in carolina the continuation throws me off every time or i'm like oh man that's an and one and you're like oh no no actually that's just no no that's <laughs> not that's not a thing so that's that's been throwing me off but yeah the the foul throwing is you know uh special and I kind of think that he could be like his best case scenario I view him as like maybe like what OG and thinks that he is Whoa. Ooh. I, like I mean it. I think he could be I mean I just you know especially at this pick in a draft that's kind of weak I think that he is well worth the 13th pick I would he's probably my number one prospect that we have reviewed so far and he could just totally I mean his worst case scenario is like a bigger Stanley Johnson Mm -hmm. So we could just completely flame out. Apparently he's a little bit of a head case in uh, interviews. So we'll see. But I think, you know, if we're viewing this as pretty much our last like top pick of the LaMelo era, I think that he's a worthwhile swing over, you know, like Dang or even like Johnny Davis.
0: Yeah. Last thing I'll say is that one thing about him is that I think he does kind of copy PJ Washington's skill sets a little bit too much but I don't value that that much. Like I don't, I don't really put too much weight in that because we need more good players. Like we shouldn't overthink the fit thing. Right now. That's a little bit different when we're talking about, we need a center because we just need a center. Right. But like drafting a player who's too similar to PJ Washington or who's too similar to Terry Rogier, I think it's a mistake. Like we, we need more good players. So
1: if he's going to be good, we take it. And what do we say last episode? It's like, one thing with both these teams in the finals, and granted, we haven't made the playoffs in six years, let alone the finals, but it's like no team has ever been like, oh, man, I have too many guys that are six eight yeah. that can defend three positions and shoot. And like PJ, I think, is more of like a four, like a straight four, maybe a little bit of a five. I think Eason could be like four leaning towards three. Mm-hmm. So I think they do fill a different spot but I do, I do agree with you where like, yeah, they'll probably be stronger on defense and like he's PJ with maybe some more like less shooting, more dribbling.
0: Yeah. Playing them together is tough. I think too, but maybe we just don't do that. Um, Yeah. Like it's hard to imagine a lineup other than a small ball lineup where they're both involved in, in my opinion.
1: But I'm, I'm thinking big brain. I'm thinking two years from now when he's developed and I'm like, Man, we maybe get him at the three, Miles at the four, PJ at the five for, like, five minutes a half.
0: The death lineup.
1: That, that is kind of the death lineup, man. Like, and again, that's, you know, that's a lot of speculation, a lot of hypotheticals. But I'm letting myself dream right now. It's, it's before. That's, you know, that's like a 10% chance of happening. But I'm living in that 10% right now. And I just think he could be, like, you know, our three, four, whereas, like, you know, Miles and PJ are closer to, like, four fives or straight fours.
0: All right, so for clarification, Mark Williams, Duran, above him on my big board at this moment. But I'll I'll have him squarely at third of the players we've discussed so far. Um, Let's move on. Jeremy Sohan, uh, another wing, 6'9", 230 pounds, out of Baylor. Average 8.7 points, 29.9% from three. I'll round up to 30 for everybody. Uh, Six rebounds, (laughs) 1.3 steals. So not as good of an offensive player uh, at this moment as Eason, but he's also two years younger. Y'all remember last podcast, we had that same kind of distinction between Mark Williams and Jalen Duran. He's two years younger and I think a better defensive player for sure. Uh, He has better quickness, better on ball defense. He's more switchable even than Eason. Like you're saying, he can switch. I think he's more switchable than, than Eason. He can guard guards, I think. Um, in the NBA and um, I think more athletic than than Easton. with all that being said I'm still riding with Easton over Sohan uh, just because of the offensive upside of Eason I think he also probably has a better handle than Eason but but like I said the offensive upside with with Eason to me is super compelling and uh, I could be wrong but but that's that's what I where I'm at right now where, where are you at Tim?
1: That's fair, fair. Yeah. I, uh, you know, the two years that does is good, but like, I mean, his offense is really bad. Yes, yeah. yeah. Like it is. So over his last 14 games in college, he shot 24% from three and he's not like, you know, his ball handling is fine in transition. You're never going to like, you know, run anything through him in the half court. It's just really hard to play a player who I don't think he's going to be a small ball five at least not for the first, like, two years, it's really hard to find him minutes if he can't do anything offensively. And, like, so I feel like he'll have to be, like, you know, like a top 25 defensive player in the league to really start getting minutes that aren't, you know, just, like, I'm not saying he's not JT Thor. Like, he's clearly better than JT Thor. But I just don't know where he fits in offensively. I think his jump shot actually looks better than Eason's even though the percentage is worse, you know, he's about 36% on catch and shoots, but outside of that, I just wonder, it's like, so is he, he's just going to guard, like he's going to be like an evolutionary Thaddeus Young?
0: So my comp for him, I was thinking about it somewhere like in between for the high end, like Ben Simmons and like, I don't know, uh, who's an athletic, like four, like Aaron Gordon, like, somewhere between those two dudes would be his high end, but his low end, I think for him more than Eason, is a bust. Like, I think that if he, like, doesn't develop a jump shot, offensively, the questions are, like, super there, where, like you said, he has a better handle than Eason, but it's not like he's, like, uh, a guard-level handle, right? Um, So, I, I see him definitely as more of an upside swing. Like, I think he could potentially be just like sick, um, whereas Easton, I'd say, has a lower lower ceiling, uh, but a higher floor uh, than than uh, Sotom does.
1: No, that's that's fair. I've seen uh, comps for both these guys, like Patrick Williams, and I'm like, is Patrick Williams played 25 games in the NBA in the first <laughs> two years? Like, <laughs> do we know what Patrick Williams is? Yeah. Like, you know, he's he's from Carolina, so don't want to don't want to hate on the guy. But uh, yeah, I do wonder, like, you know, with Sohan, like, if, because with these guys, like, realistically, again, like, we talked about the Kaminsky principle last time of like, how often is like what you are best at actually going to be used on offense? And if you believe that he has the vertical ability to be like, you know, uh, a dunker spot threat, I think that changes things a little bit, but it also changes the formation of your team where, like, you almost have to play him at the four or the five. Like, he can't, he can't be a three with his shooting. So then, unless you pair him, like, unless we do take two draft picks, which we're rumored not to do, like, it's kind of hard to see him fitting in with PJ on the floor or with Miles. And again, not that you, like, draft around those guys by any means. Well, Miles, you kind of do. But, yeah, it's just I just don't know where he fits in offensively. And... It's just offense is just more important than defense right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think he's clearly the, we, we kind of talked about this pre pot. I think he's clearly the better defensive player than Easton at this point. Yes. He he can, he can move super fast. He's a, he's a rim protector. He's a little bit taller. Um, but yeah, like you said, the offense is just lacking. It's really similar to our Duran and Williams conversation from last week. Like, do you take the guy who, who might be really good or do you take the guy who's kind of already shown it right in, in college. And that it's again, the youth thing at 19 um, for, for Sohan. And then uh, Eason's 21, right? So he's, he's two, a full two years older. That's sort of the question here. Again, I think with these two players, do you take the guy who's proven it? Or do you take the guy who might be like top, top 30, top 50,
1: yeah. And I will say I'm I'm kind of underplaying how just nasty Sohan is on defense. So on. Yeah. I mean, he is just outrageous. Like I even like, you know, I watched, I've been watching him for the last week. I legitimately had a nightmare the other day. He was closing out on my shots. I mean, that, that would be terrifying. And I think he can stay with guys. I don't think he's like a great rim protector right now, but I can see like, you can see the vision, but also like guys like that. It's so hard to fit in. Like, we talked about Draymond last episode. And, like why, is he like, why is he making the Hall of Fame as great as his defense is? It's because Steph Curry is there. So if we believe that LaMelo is going to be a true offensive hub and a major threat and can, like, you know, attract multiple defenders and create an advantage, then I think Sohan's value, like, you know, does jump up a bit. Jonathan Giovanni, uh has him projected in his latest mock draft falling to 13 to us. And I would say, even with my questions about Sohan, I would, ma- I would probably still take him over Mark Williams. Mm. Uh, just because, you know, we talked, the sort of about like, again, like, you know, too many wings. I would just take both of these wings in 13 and 15, honestly. Yeah. One, of them, one of them will hit, and that's, that's more important than any like very good center. I mean, you know, like threes and fours just just dominate the league.
0: Okay, so I disagree with you there, I, and I also don't think that's something we will do. Just because if you take both of them, like one of them is going to get to play and one of them is not going to get to play. I just think that's the issue with that. Um, I agree with you, like maybe in a vacuum, but we already have P.J. and Miles. Yep. Like, like there's no way that they're going to lose minutes to, to these two like serious minutes. Um, so I don't think we can draft that's a good both point. them. And, yeah, I don't think we can draft both of them because we can't play both of them. I think we take one of them and we take uh, Williams, Williams or Duran um that's sort of the dream scenario for me at this point is to get one wing one big uh at these two picks don't trade the picks get a wing, get a big acquire more talent hope hope both of them hit but i think again at least one of them will hit
1: yeah no i think that's a that's a good call so what's your uh, what's your final ranking as of right now between the two
0: Okay, so I'll, I'll have uh, Eason above Sohan, but by a, just like a, a very slight margin. Um, very, like, slighter than the Williams Duran gap, in my opinion. Um, and if I had to rank players overall, I'm going Williams, Duran, um, Eason, Sohan, and then. <laughs> The other two we talked about can, can just can just go somewhere way below them. Yeah,
1: um, I, I <laughs> love how much you hate Usman Dang. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and then Johnny Davis. I don't I don't know where I rank those two uh, respectively at this moment, but they're somewhere uh, a tier below those four players.
1: I uh, I like it. I might I might have it Easton, then Williams, then Duran, then so on. Okay. Um, but I'm really thinking about it, but yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still skeptical on Duran. And uh, I'm gonna argue with uh Plowright and Chase coming up here soon on yeah. on those issues. On the draft market I still. have yes, I'm I'm representing the Hornets and Heartbreak contingent.
0: <laughs> yeah, Tim's Tim's making an appearance on the uh, draft show, so y'all can check that out. And look for Tim and I's final big board next week. Um, you know, what we just said was sort of off the cuff. We'll have a full big board for you guys on the podcast next week. Uh, You guys should also check out the SI.com Hornets page for all sorts of articles about the draft and about Kenny Atkinson being hired. Um, And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever uh, podcast platform you listen to, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you listen to, uh, give us a rating and a review on there. It'll really help us out
1: absolutely and thank you so much to anyone that's taken the time this far into the episode to stick through we appreciate you yeah please rate review share subscribe do whatever you got to do and uh yeah we appreciate it if you have any uh issue with our draft takes let us know
0: all right tim it's been real bro all
1: right it's been Brilic and mark be safe out there peace peace